Well, it's good to see so many back this evening. I know it's been a while, so you may have forgotten, but on Sunday nights, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus, kind of a a series called The Stories That Jesus Told. It has been two months since uh, I preached on a Sunday night, so I'm, 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 I'm out of practice. Uh, but between uh, mission trip uh, reports and me being gone for a couple weeks and guest speakers who had come in and different things like that, uh, it's been a it's been a while since uh, we have uh, been been uh, been here on Sunday nights together. So, just a reminder, you know, we started off uh, in Matthew chapter seven with the parable of the wise and foolish builders uh, and building our house on the rock and those things. We looked at the parable of the sower. We looked at the parable of the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares. We looked at the two parables together of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And we looked at that uh, uh, very interesting parable of the workers in the vineyard. The one where, you know, we found out that doesn't seem everything is always fair. Because the 11th hour workers got paid the same as those who'd worked all day long. We looked at the parable of the two sons. The one who said he wouldn't do what he was supposed to do and then did. And the one who said he would do what he was supposed to do but then didn't. And then at the end as we kind of got here. It began a trilogy of parables that we found in Matthew chapter 25. And we started with. The wise and foolish virgins. The parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. And then we looked at the parable of the talents. The five talent man, the two talent man, and the one talent man. And tonight we're going to finish this trilogy with the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now you can argue if you want to whether this is a parable or not. I'm not going to argue with you. If you don't want to call it a parable, fine. But for tonight, we're going to look at it as if it was a parable that Jesus taught. Now, in Matthew 25, what you have is Jesus getting the disciples and his listeners ready, wanting them to understand that they needed to be prepared. That was the message of all three of these parables. It was about end times things. He talked about that in chapter 24 and then moves on to chapter 25. And we know from scripture that there is going to be a time of judgment. Hebrew 9 and verse 27 says, for it is appointed unto man once to die. And then after that, the judgment, uh, revelation chapter five, we have that, that great throne scene where it says the books are open and the book of life is open and the names that are in there are important. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31 says that he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So Jesus tells of the day in words that are penetrating. So beginning in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. The king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous... To eternal life. Now before we really get into this parable. I think it's important to note that there is a difference. Between this parable. And the two that precede it that we've already looked at. In the parable of the ten virgins. The five woolish. Woolish? The five wise and the five foolish. Okay. Those that parable. And the parable of the talents, you remember really that in those two parables, the unprepared people kind of knew that they were unprepared. The five foolish virgins knew as soon as the message came out that the bridegroom was coming, they knew that they had burned all their oil and they didn't have any and they were unprepared. And remember, they asked the wise, you know, can we borrow some? And the wives were like, look, look. You know, we don't have a way, if we'll give you some, we don't have enough for ourselves. So the five foolish virgins knew that they were unprepared. Same is true with the one talent man. When the master came back and the five talent man, remember, brought ten talents and the two talent man brought four talents. The one talent man said, oh, I knew, you know, you were a harsh man. So I dug a hole and I put it under it and and here it is. Now, I don't think that he really thought that was going to fly. I think he kind of knew that he was unprepared. Especially after seeing what the ten talent or the five talent man had done and the two talent man had done. I think he realized, "Uh uh-oh, this is not going to really work when I go before the master. They kind of knew that they were unprepared. They may not have realized it in advance. But at the moment of judgment, as it were, they knew they were unprepared. In the parable of the sheep and goats, you have a totally different situation. Those who were unprepared thought they were prepared. I don't think there's anything more frustrating than believing that you were prepared for something. Even preparing for something and then realizing that you weren't. 
Several years ago, the very first time we went down to Sombrete, Mexico. Walter, I can't remember. I know you and Sue went and, and my in-laws, I think. And, and, and I can't remember who all else went, but we went in your van. And uh, we learned something. We didn't know anything. We didn't know what the, what the laws were or things like that. And, and so we get through the border and we just bust on through the border. And, and we just are moseying on down into Mexico. And it's about midnight or whatever. And we get about 30, 40 miles, whatever it is, down into Mexico. And all of a sudden, dudes with guns start, you know, jumping out of everywhere, pointing at us. And they're like, you go back, you go back, you got to go back. We're like, what? I, you know, well, as it turns out, you know, if you take a vehicle down into Mexico, you can take it 30 or 40 miles without registering it. But you go beyond that 30, 40 mile, whatever it is, 50 kilometer, I think, you know, point, you have to register that vehicle. Well, we didn't know that. And so they sent us back. We had to go back to the border, back to Laredo, <laughs> and go through all this stuff and get the van registered and, and, and everything else. So, the next time, a year later or whenever it was, we're going down to Mexico. We're on the bus. And I'm like, I know what I'm doing now. And so I get all the paperwork in order and I had to get the elders to sign that I had the right to take the bus in or their permission to take the bus into Mexico. And it had to be notarized and all these different things. And, you know, I had all the paperwork done and I was so prepared. Those of you that have been with me on mission trips, whether it's Brazil or whatever, you know, I got me a notebook. I got everything in my notebook. And so we get down to the border. And I go to get the bus registered. And actually, everybody else on the bus was still on the bus. And, and me and the Spanish minister from Mount Pleasant took a cab. A cab in Laredo, Mexico at midnight. Yeah, anyway, to go to the place. And we get there and we get to the window and I knock on the window. And I'm so proud. And I start flipping through my notebook And my paperwork's not there. And the blood just drained from my body. And as soon as I realized that my paperwork wasn't there, I knew where it was. Right before we left, I had taken some useless pieces of information out of my notebook And apparently in doing that, I had taken out some of the important information as well. So we had Barbara Bryant on the trip with us at that time. Bud was with us and so was JD. So we had two elders and a notary and Barbara had brought her notary stamp. And so we go back to the bus. I get a a, a, uh, yellow legal pad and I write out. We, the elders of the Dangerfield Church of Christ, give Tim Gibbs permission to take the bus down into Mexico. And I have J.D. and I have Bud to sign it. And Barbara notarizes it. And I go back. We go back to the building. And I knock on the window. And it's one of those windows, you know, it's got little shade, you know. I knock on the window and the guy goes like this. And I show him like that. And he just closed the window on me. Just dropped the shade right on me. Nope, that's not going to work. So now what do we do? So I call 
Nancy Bowers from Mexico. And I said, Nancy, I know it's two o'clock in the morning, but I need you to do this for me. I need you to go to the church building. I need you to go in my office and right there by my phone. I knew exactly where it was right there by my phone are about four or five pieces of important documents. And then I need you to fax them those documents to this number that they had. And she, you know, did that. And we eventually got to go on into Mexico. But that moment when I was so sure, so absolutely sure that I was prepared, that I had everything we needed, and then realized I didn't. That's exactly what these in this story felt like they thought they were prepared and then it turns out that they weren't reminiscent of jesus teaching in matthew 7 he says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my father so this evening i want us to look at four kind of lessons that we can learn from this parable the first is that simple acts of kindness were the mark of the righteous Notice the simplicity of the acts that the righteous were commended for. A bite of food, a drink of water, some clothes, a visit. All are things that we would consider in comparison to other things to be kind of small, tiny. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 9. Remember, in the first part of Acts chapter 9, you had the conversion of Saul. That's what we focus on, really, in Acts chapter 9. But then after the conversion of Saul, there's this other story. And remember, it's the story of Tabitha, or Dorcas, who was a wonderful lady there in the church, and she died. And the brethren asked Peter to come. And as Peter's there, they show him all the clothes that Dorcas had made for the poor and and for all those who who needed it and all the good things that, that she had made. And then lo and behold, what does Peter do? Raises her from the dead. Now let me ask you something. If we were categorizing good deeds, making some clothes for the poor, Raising somebody from the dead. Come on. You know, you know. Raising somebody from the dead. That, that's major. That's important. But then you look at the impact that Dorcas had had on the people around her. And the impression she had made on their lives. And you realize that even though all she did was make some clothes for poor people and widows or whatever, it was impactful on the people around her. Much smaller in scope in our way of thinking than raising somebody from the dead. And yet she was commended for it. Paul's description of love, remember, says love is patient, love is kind. Wow. He goes on to list a bunch of other things, right? But kind tops the list. Right up there is patience. Kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. 
in Galatians chapter 5. Kindness is one of the Christian graces mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 1. You know what that tells me? It does not appear to be optional. Kindness to others is not something that we can either choose to do or choose not to do. If we're really going to live by the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit grow within us, we have to be kind. If we're really going to allow those Christian graces, knowledge, virtue, and all those things, if we're really going to let those grow within us, kindness has to be there. If we really are going to love one another and love others, as Jesus said, we ought to love each other, kindness is going to have to be a part of that. And it's not just about the big things. It's about the small things. In a marriage, in a friendship, in service to God. We have to remember that kindness marked the righteous here. Second point that we can learn is that the righteous use their resources as a blessing. Remember the rich fool? The rich fool, go ahead, Jamie. The rich fool, you remember, was the one who had the bumper crops and everything. And he says, you know, I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And you remember what happened? That night, dead. And then you remember the rich man in Lazarus. You remember the rich man, you know, uh, lived in the lap of luxury and Lazarus sat outside his gate just begging to, you know, to get the scraps from the table. And the rich man dies and Lazarus dies and Lazarus is found in the bosom of Abraham in paradise. And the rich man is in torment. Now notice that neither one of them, the rich man or the rich man, the other rich man, Neither one of them were condemned for being rich. That was not the problem. The problem was not that they were rich. The problem was that they didn't use what they had for others' benefit. They did not use what they had to help others. Remember the one talent man, he wasn't rich. But he didn't use what he had either. And he fell into the same category As both the rich men did. All of our resources. Our talents. Abilities. Money. Time. It's all from God. And it's all been given to us by God. To use to his glory. In service to others. And in service to him. An ability to visit. An ability to write. An ability to encourage. Maybe an ability to make money. Maybe being retired and having time to do certain things. The key is to open our eyes to opportunities around us to show kindness and use our resources to help other people. It's the difference between the rich man and the rich man and Lazarus and Peter and John. You remember, like we said, every day it appeared, as Jesus tells the story, it appears that, you know, every day the rich man would, would walk out his gate and just ignore Lazarus, sitting there begging. Didn't pay him any attention. And you remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, as they're on their way into the temple, there was a man there who was begging, a lame man who was begging. Let me ask you something. Do you think the lame man would have been really disappointed 
really upset, really got all out of joint, if Peter and John had just walked on by and not done anything or said anything? I don't think so. Because I think he was used to that. My guess is he got that all the time. Sitting there day after day after day at the gate to the temple, my guess is the majority of the people just walked right on by and didn't say anything. And I don't think he got his feelings hurt anymore. You know, he was beyond that by this point. He was always hoping that somebody would give him something. And Peter and John had no obligation, in a sense, societal obligation, to do anything. They could have just walked on by and they wouldn't have been any big deal. But they took the time and noticed the man and stopped and said, you know, we don't have any gold or silver. And right about that point, my guess is the man was very disappointed. Don't you think? Well, then go on. (laughs) If 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 you don't have anything to give me, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Whoa. And he gets up and he walks. All because Peter and John took time to notice him. The rich man walked by Lazarus every day and didn't notice him. We have a responsibility and obligation to use our God-given resources in service to him through others. There's a a little story in Mark chapter 7. It's kind of interesting. Jesus is kind of condemning the Pharisees, you know, like he does. You brood of vipers and you whitewashed tombs and all those kinds of things. And one of the things he said they did was, he said, you know, the commandment says that you ought to honor your father and mother. And honor in that sense, I think, is more than just respect them. I think it has to do with caring for them, you know, and and things like that. And he said, what some of you do is, you neglect your parents. You don't take care of them. But you try to use a warped excuse. He says, what you say is, the money that I would use to take care of my parents... I have set aside to be devoted to God. Now, I haven't actually given it to God. I haven't, you know, given it to the temple or or, or whatever. It's still in my possession. It's still in my bank account. But I've devoted it. I've set it aside for God. And therefore, I can't take care of my parents. And Jesus basically says, what are you thinking? That's crazy. Do you not understand that taking care of your parents is part of your responsibility to me? And I think he saw right through them realizing that they never intended to give that money to God anyway. That was just the excuse they were using. Then when their parents died, you see, then they could say, oh, well, you know, I can use that money. But what Jesus is saying here, you can't say that I'm going to serve God without serving others. It doesn't work that way. It's kind of like we've learned about love. You can't say you love God and not love people. It doesn't work that way. So we have, we have a responsibility to use our resources as a blessing. Third thing, the righteous were surprised, <coughs> excuse me, the righteous were surprised by the impact of their actions. It's obvious that they did not do what they did, not as a, 
a part of a show or acts of worship or sacrifice, but simply as a part of their lives. You know, they saw somebody who was hungry, they gave him something to eat. They didn't think, you know, ooh, I'm worshiping God. You know, I'm making a big sacrifice to God by giving this person something to eat or something to drink or some clothes or visiting them or whatever the case may be. Years ago at camp, uh, I can't remember the theme of the camp right now, but, but we, the, the counselors decided we were going to do something and we we're going to recognize each day random acts of kindness. And we would be on the lookout, the counselors would be on the lookout for kids that we saw doing a random act of kindness. You know, they walk by and there's a styrofoam cup on the ground and they pick it up and throw it away. Or whatever the case may be. What we noticed was after about the second day of mentioning these people, you know, so-and-so, you know, we saw Bryson do this, you know, this random act of kindness. Or, you know, we saw Abigail do this, this random act of kindness. You know what we noticed? The random acts of kindness greatly increased. But they only increased when there was a counselor around. When they thought somebody would see them. In fact, I'm sure some kids dropped the paper on the ground in order that they could pick it up. To be seen. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what these people who were commended did. These acts of righteousness were a part of their everyday life. They didn't think about the impact on their own lives or even on the lives of those they were serving or to be seen by God. But the impact was enormous. How many times have you been encouraged or impacted by a little something somebody did and they probably didn't even realize it? They probably have absolutely no idea the impact that it had on you. Have you ever just been in the absolute worst place in your life and somebody just said a kind word to you and it changed everything? They didn't know where you were. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't do that in order to make you feel better per se. But it did. And they certainly didn't do it to be seen by other people. It has an impact. The cursed, the goats, the ones on the left, tried to excuse themselves because of a lack of opportunity. Don't Don't you love what they said? When did we see you hungry and not give you something to eat? Thirsty, not give you something to drink? Paraphrasing a little bit, Jesus, come on now. If we'd have seen you hungry or thirsty, you know we'd have given you something to eat or drink. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that. Again, paraphrasing. Yeah, I know you would have. But the point is, if you didn't do it to other people, you didn't do it to me. It reminds me a little bit, you remember the scene where Simon the Pharisee has Jesus come over to his house? And that's a pretty big deal. Pharisee inviting Jesus over to his house and they're having a meal. And I'm sure the Pharisee is like, you know, look at me. I invited Jesus to my house. And you remember the sinful woman walks in and starts 
crying on his feet. And she starts washing his feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. And the people in the room are aghast, right? Oh, if Jesus only knew the kind of person she was, you think Jesus knew the kind of person she was? Absolutely, Jesus knew the kind of person she was. And Jesus, reading their minds, Gary thought, reading Simon's mind, says, you know, Simon, I came in here. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't have a servant wash my feet. You didn't even give me the stuff to wash my own feet. And since I got in here, this woman has not stopped washing my feet. You see, Simon, you did the big thing. You invited me to your house. You threw a big banquet. You got all the publicity. You got everybody saying, Woo, look at Simon. He had Jesus to his house. But what about the little things? What about those? They did not realize the impact of their actions. And fourthly, and this is important, the cursed were not wicked. At least in our eyes and their own eyes. You know, there are plenty of verses in the New Testament about the wicked. First Corinthians chapter six, do not be deceived. You know, these people, so on, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Romans chapter one, you know, this is what the Gentile world did. Galatians chapter five, before the fruit of the spirit, it talks about the work of the flesh and all those sins. Revelation chapter 21, you know, and we get the idea and we understand, you know, that the murderers, the liars, the adulterers, the idolaters, and all those kinds of people, those wicked people, they're not going to make it into heaven. But none of these seem to describe the goats on the left. Nor the ones mentioned in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're my age or older, I know there's fewer and fewer of you, but anyway. I remember the old-timey preachers often say this. I remember the old-timey preachers talking about sins of commission and sins of omission. Y'all remember that? Sins of commission. Jesus says, don't lie, you lie. You committed. Sins of omission is not doing what you ought to do. That's what happened here. It's not that they did really horrible things. Both the rich rulers, you know, the rich men, the one who stored up all his grain and the one that was with Lazarus, doesn't say anything about them being wicked people, does it? That they did these awful things. They were murderers and adulterers and all these guys. Doesn't say any of that. But when the time came for judgment, it was what they didn't do that spoke louder. Could be possible sins of pride, selfishness, and greed. But the real problem, I think, is simply indifference. Inattentiveness. Lack of concern. I think that these are sobering lessons for us. Jesus talks about, and the Bible talks about, two places of eternal destiny. One prepared for us by God. 
Remember Jesus? I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And the other we find out here is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, as I read the scriptures, those are the only two options. I want to go to a place prepared for me. Not the place prepared for Satan and his angels. So we need to be careful and make sure that we are prepared. Not just the big things, but the little things. Are we showing kindness to the people around us? Every opportunity that we have. If you're here this evening and we can help in any way, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.